0: Hello, everybody, and
1: welcome to Unleashed, the fastest hour on the internet. In today's episode, we're discussing feedback and specifically how to get better at receiving it. Why is it so hard? Why is it so important and how we all have the potential to become really good at it. I know it sounds a little too good to be true, but it absolutely is possible. I'm your host, of course, Jeff Tetz, the CEO of Results, where we believe that poor execution is the number one reason businesses fall below expectations. We have a a proven framework that's helped thousands of leaders grow their businesses faster over the last 20 years. And I want to let everybody uh, tuning in today in on a little secret. When this pandemic is over, I firmly believe that when it's in our rearview mirror that one of our biggest regrets as business leaders is that we didn't take advantage of all the affordable training. And training that uh, goes for hundreds of dollars now in a couple of years is gonna once again cost thousands of dollars. And we have one of those very opportunities coming up on October 29th. We're presenting Becks Exchange with leadership expert Sarah Noel Wilson. It's a three hour online event that will be nothing like you've attended yet the virtual platforms that we're going to be using, the interaction, the tools, the experience shares by real life CEOs and how they've experienced the pandemic and how they're guiding their companies through change. And the focus is really going to be about adaptive leadership. How can leaders in your company be better equipped to mobilize employees to tackle tough challenges and thrive in this complex business environment that we're in and we're gonna continue to be in. And you get all of this for just $149. And if you actually buy today, you get upgraded to VIP level one for free. So I hope that you can join us. And this is not just for you, this is for your teams, it's for your employees, it's for anybody in a management position. Uh, So far, uh, the average number of participants per registration is probably three or four. So uh, bring your management teams for sure. And I wanna send a special uh, shout out to Lloyd Sad today for presenting today's episode when i started in this business 10 years ago i was trying to build a community of like-minded leaders and i looked for other professional service firms that were the leaders and uh, the ones that were doing it well and lloyd sad is is who i found that has such a unique way of establishing relationships in the in a professional service uh, environment that I've tried to emulate a lot of what they do. And over the years, we've actually adopted a lot of their marketing strategies into our very own business. Uh, They have teams of industry-specialized advisors who really understand the risks that are facing your industry. And they live by their brand promise of building partnerships, both with their clients and also in the communities that they serve. And we're also clients of Sad, so we know how great they treat their customers. And right now, you may be paying more for your insurance than you need to, so please give SAD a call and uh, they'd be happy to chat with you. Now on with today's show. So I am uh, so delighted to welcome feedback expert, Sheila Heen. Sheila is a founder of Triad Consulting Group and has been on the Harvard Law School faculty as a lecturer on law since 1995. She often works with executive teams, helping them to work through conflict, repair working relationships and make sound decisions together. Sheila's clients include Pixar, Hugo Boss, and the NBA, Go Lakers, big win last night. Uh, she's even provided training to the uh, training for the Obama White House. and wouldn't that have been interesting? Uh, as far as I know, she does not work on presidential debates, but I wish that she did. And uh, Sheila has spent more than 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project, developing negotiation theory and practice. She specializes in particularly difficult negotiations where emotions run high and relationships become strained. She is a co-author of two New York Times bestsellers, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. And then the most recently released bestseller, Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And she's appeared on shows as diverse as Oprah and the Gordon Liddy Show. And she's spoken at the Global Leadership Summit, Apple, Google, and at Microsoft. She's a graduate of Occidental College in Los Angeles and Harvard Law School. And on top of all of that, she is schooled on a daily basis in negotiation by her three children. Sheila, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, I'm delighted to be here and to find my unmute button. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> as absolutely. we all get used
0: to, as we all get used to living our lives
1: on yes, Zoom. That's right. And I, yeah, I've enjoyed the human, uh, the human element of it. And uh, with, you know, without everything going on uh, pandemic related, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. And we very much appreciate you making time to join us. Uh, and I know the audience is, uh, is excited to hear what, uh, what you have to say. And before we sort of jump into some of this conversation, I have so many questions for you. I just want to let you know that your book. It's one of the most impactful books I have read in a long time. Wow. So I could not, and I was telling you sort of in the pre-show, I had a hard time getting through even two or three pages without having to put it down. Think about what I just read and think Mm -hmm. about all the situations I've been in my life where I wished I had read that book sooner. So uh, it's a very wow. impactful read. And and we are excited to give some copies away to the audience today for filling up the pe- the feedback form. So we're uh, really, really looking so, forward to
0: Jeff, you can't see this, but I do have goosebumps. That's like the, the best feedback we could possibly get because our, our aspiration when writing thanks for the feedback and difficult conversations, it takes us a long time to write a book. But, but part of that is because we really feel like book is the conversation with the reader right and that our highest aspiration is that we can capture something that people can pick up and use right away so thank you for that um it's really helpful because it's it (laughs) all the angst that goes into trying to do that it's encouraging yeah, no, I,
1: I can appreciate that. Uh, and, and you're, you're very welcome. And it does such a good job of weaving in some simple tips and tools and tricks that you can start using immediately, but also the stories that you tell. Uh, I, I, I feel like almost every story that you tell in the book, I have been in at one time or another in my life or in my career.
0: Yes. Well, your friends and family are in the acknowledgements. I don't know if you know that, but yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. written. It was written specifically about, about yeah. you.
1: You're gonna yeah. meet all of my ex-girlfriends. I, uh, That's right.
0: <laughs> that's right
1: (laughs) so maybe where we'll start sheila is i was i was really curious about how did you how did you get so curious Mm. on the feedback so why have you devoted such a large portion of your career understanding this and then helping others understand it
0: yeah that's such a great question um i certainly didn't think that's where my career was going um particularly since the word feedback is, is not a particularly appealing word, right? Like the minute somebody says, Hey, you know, can I give you some feedback? (laughs) Of course, you know, you're supposed to say, yes, of course. And your internal voice is like, no, go away. (laughs) So, so I think that those conversations are hard for all of us. And, and if I think about how did I end up here, I, I think I need to rewind, you know, 10 or 15 years because we were, we were really going around the world teaching leaders how to have difficult conversations. Um, and what we started to notice is that feedback conversations were coming up a lot, like 100% of the time. And so we were spending a bunch of our time as we were helping leaders with difficult conversations, a big subset was feedback conversations. And we spent a lot of our time focused on, you know, how do we help leaders give feedback more skillfully and more frequently and, and more clearly, and that was helpful, but we started to notice it wasn't totally solving the problem, and so that when we'd go back and ask, like, you know, how those conversations going, they're like, well, a little better, but I tried, you know, I tried to be skillful and clear, and, and they were still defensive, and I'm not sure all of the time and emotional energy I put into the conversation was worth it. And so that, I think that's what got us curious, like when our advice doesn't work, <laughs> it's feedback to us, Fair first not. of all. Uh, and the first instinct is to be like, well, you probably didn't do it right, or you know, something's wrong with you, or maybe something's wrong with them, but something's definitely not wrong with my advice. Um, but eventually, I think I've, I've learned to get curious, to think, huh, so everything I can think of that might be helpful is not helping. What's that about? What are we missing? And, and honestly, it was Doug, it was my co-author, Doug Stone, who one day said, well, hold, hold on one second. Maybe we're missing a whole half of the equation, right? Because mm-hmm. we're focused really on the givers. But in any exchange, there's a giver and there's a receiver. And the receiver's the one who's in charge, right? Because they're the one who decides what they hear and how they interpret it and whether they take it in, whether they decide to change or not. And so maybe we're maybe we're going at this backwards. Maybe we need to really try to understand what's so hard about receiving feedback for all of us, both both formal feedback like performance reviews um, and grades and whatever, but but also just all the little informal, indirect signals people give us all the time and unsolicited advice. They give us that that. Give us clues in terms of how we're impacting them um, for better and for worse. And so if we think of feedback as sort of my relationship with the world and the world's relationship with me, then I'm surrounded by feedback all the time. And although I feel like I don't get enough of certain kinds of feedback, um, I think one question is just, am I paying attention? And we started to get curious about why is it so hard to take in other people's perceptions, thoughts, advice, unsolicited. um, Why is it that we feel so defensive? And what if receiving feedback is actually a distinct leadership skill? Now that gets really interesting, that if I get better at receiving feedback myself, not only do I accelerate my own learning, but I actually role model it for everybody around me. And so what's become clear to me over the last, um, however many years, it's been now eight or nine years, is that the fastest way to change any feedback culture is for the leaders to become better receivers. Yeah. Because they they automatically become better givers, but um, they also are signaling what they value and they're showing people how to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And Sheila, I think that the other thing reading your book is that feedback is very complex. So there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And, and to get good at it, I I can appreciate it will take years and years of practice and, and, uh, and making some mistakes and learning from those. But I think in the hour that we have today, there's mm-hmm. probably two things that I hope that we can accomplish it is make it easier for people to navigate those conversations better. And then the second mm-hmm. part is, is for senior leaders to become more capable of creating an environment where people feel comfortable to give them feedback. I know that's a big concern for me is I, I worry about walking around unknowingly uh, with all of this feedback around me, but none of it being directly given to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're talking to each other about it, yeah, <laughs> about, uh, about what they wish you would change, right? Yeah. But they're yeah. not necessarily telling you. And I think as a, as a leader, a senior leader, especially, um, people are hesitant to give you candid coaching. Um, and so in, in this funny way, you have to have actually more and more advanced skills in order to solicit or elicit honest and helpful feedback.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's, maybe let's start to define some of the terms here. So you mm-hmm. talk about, uh, there's, there's sort of three main sources of feedback, Sheila. What are they?
0: Yeah, so we, we toss around this word feedback. But actually, there are three different kinds, and they have really different purposes. And by the way, we did not make this up. Um, just to be clear, because uh, we learned it from a, a different book that my husband's a co-author on. So if I if I don't if I don't clearly cite my sources here, he may come around the corner. Think uh, of the feedback in my
1: household every day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exa- yeah. My husband also teaches negotiation, so you can imagine what it's like around here. So, so back to your question, which is that there are three different kinds, and they have different purposes. And the easy way to remember them is ACE, A-C-E. The A stands for appreciation. And appreciation just says, like, I see you, I get you, I notice how hard you're working, I notice what it's costing you to deliver what you're delivering. Um, Appreciation plays a huge role in motivation, employee engagement. Um, You know, it's why we Get up and turn on Zoom again the next day because somebody actually is noticing and valuing what we're doing and what we're bringing to the team. Oh. Um, the second type is a coaching. C coaching. Part of what's interesting is the relationship between appreciation and coaching. So coaching is really in anything intended to make you better, uh, improve your knowledge, your skill set, your effectiveness, your efficiency. Um, it, coaching is sort of a term of art these days in the business world to mean uh, an elicitive way to help someone learn that's included but we actually also mean the bigger category like if it's intended to try to make me better advice correction whatever um, that counts as coaching the relationship between coaching and appreciation is interesting because one of the most common um, hurdles or obstacles to me being willing more receptive to your coaching is whether or not I feel appreciated by you. Right. Right, like if the first thing you have to say to me after six months is something you want me to change, like sc- screw you, am I allowed to say that on the show?
1: You can say that, <laughs> you, you can say worse. <laughs> You
0: can say worse. Yeah, we'll let you say worse. But yes, no, your internal voice is often profane, right? Like, and, and by the way, the, the title, Thanks for the Feedback, it is intended to capture that conflicted feeling we have about feedback, right? To both mean like, yeah, thanks for the feedback, go away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Um, and a, a place where I get to a genuine sort of gratefulness and appreciation for the fact that you were willing to take a risk and give me some coaching, which now I think was actually spot on or really helpful. So we've talked about two, appreciation, coaching. Coaching is the engine for learning and growth and improvement and collaboration, continuing to improve as we collaborate. When people talk about creating a learning culture, they're really talking about creating a culture of mutual coaching and learning. And then the last one, E, is, a, is evaluation. An evaluation rates or ranks you. It tells you how you're doing against some set of expectations or some scale or criteria. Um, Where do you stand? Are you on track? Are you you outperforming? Are you a superstar? Are you falling short? Um, Grades obviously are evaluation, performance reviews are evaluation. But evaluation is also any time we're making some kind of judgment like, is this ready to go out to the client, is asking, what's your evaluation of where it stands and whether it's ready against mine? Because I have standards for whether it's ready. So we're actually evaluating every day also. Um, But evaluation is the one that is the most emotionally volatile for many of us, right? Because we feel judged. Right. It's one of the reasons why performance reviews are so fraught, which is that we mix up these three kinds of feedback. So actually we think that everybody needs all three kinds of feedback, but you need different kinds at different times. And one of the mistakes that we make unintentionally in most cases is that we save up all of our appreciation and our coaching and we dump it all into the evaluation conversation at the end of the year. And then I'm having such a big reaction to the rating or the evaluation, which, you know, feels fair or unfair, or better or worse than I expected. That it drowns out my ability to really hear the coaching, and sort of the appreciation is is pro forma. You have to say something nice before you whack me, so I don't really hear that either.
1: Right, yeah. you're you're bracing you're you're bracing yourself for it. Now, yeah. You also mentioned this this, this term across cross transactions, and so if 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 I uh, if I reach out to an employee. And they're expecting some appreciation and all of a sudden I I launch into some coaching or I launch in to uh, to some evaluation that that's very problematic. What what why does that cause so many problems, Sheila?
0: Well, so one of the things that was really interesting to notice is that we use this catch all term. Right. So when someone says, hey, do you have any feedback for me or I could use some feedback? the thing that is most important is to pause to say, help me understand what would be most helpful. Because sometimes people say that and what they want to know is, do you have any feedback for me? Like, do you notice how I am killing myself here and feel burned out? And I'm working through my weekends and um, does it matter to you? And that if you then offer them, oh, well, here are some things I want you to change. Now they feel actually even worse afterwards. Yeah. Um if they were hoping for, hey, what could I do better? And what you do is you say, hey, you're doing great, which is an evaluation, um, then that leaves me also feeling sort of empty. And so part of the, part of the power I think of ACE is to get us aligned, like what, what is it that you need more of that I can provide? And by the way, as a leader, the first step is actually to do a self-assessment. How much appreciation do I feel like I'm getting from the people around me? How much coaching am I getting? Um, And how clear am I on how we're doing, how I'm doing? And then figure out, well, given my answers to that, which kind would I like a little bit more of and where might I get it? And, And to break out of the assumption that it has to come from someone above you. Some of the best coaching actually, or even evaluation can come from people below you or from peers. Yeah. How are we doing? What could I change that would make a difference to you? Et cetera. Um, but but the first step is to really get clear on what is our purpose in this conversation? What kind of feedback are we each hoping for?
1: So when when do you state that? So if if I have some feedback for somebody, should I be phoning them and saying, I wanna schedule a feedback appointment with you, emailing them, telling them what the purpose of the meeting is? A lot of times feedback happens in the hallway off the cuff. Like yeah. what, what is the best way to set up a feedback conversation?
0: Well, so one thing I would say is that appreciation, ideally appreciation and coaching should be happening year-round in little bite-sized chunks, right? And and you don't have to wait for the meeting to send over some appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> if it's sincere and genuine. And partly that means it's specific. I think one mistake we say is like, that was great. Which, so by the way, let's talk about the difference between appreciation and positive evaluation. It's not that evaluation is always negative, but Mm -hmm. positive evaluation, like that was the best episode you've ever done, Jeff. (laughs) That doubles as appreciation. Right. But there there are some things that are just pure appreciation. There's no evaluative component. Like you know, hey, thanks for getting this to me on Monday. I suspect you sacrificed part of your weekend. It means something to me. I don't know if it's any good yet. I haven't looked at it, but that would be pure appreciation. Um, so, how do you just? Dis- I think I've lost track of the question. How do you distinguish what kind we're going to yeah, talk about?
1: What's the best way to set it? What's the best yeah. way to schedule a feedback meeting, and then and then and then how do you clarify what the what the intention of that feedback discussion is going to look like?
0: Yeah. So I I think being clear what you have to offer is helpful. Okay. So, so I wouldn't hold back to send the appreciation. Yeah. Send it. Um, you might also say, hey, I had a couple of ideas that might make what you're doing even better next time, or I had a couple of suggestions on the draft you sent me. Um, depending on how they feel about getting it by email versus hopping on the phone or hopping on Zoom, um, I would be talking generally in our working relationship. How do you want it? what's helpful to you as we have coaching for each other? Is it okay to send it by email? Talk to me about when and how to give it to you when I have it and I'll give you some thoughts on how to give it to me because I do want to hear your coaching and input. Um, and that way we can kind of get on the same page about it. Yeah. Evaluation is a little bit um, clearer like saying, hey, you've been here for six months. Let's do a check-in call about how it's going and whether you are on track. Um, or, hey, we need to sit down and talk year-end. Um, those are clearer. I think the place we get muddled is appreciate, evaluation versus coaching and then coaching versus appreciation.
1: Right. And, Sheila, is there <laughs> – is there a ratio that a manager should fall? Like I I, I have seen some information over the years that the, the highest uh, performing managers have a ratio of four or five pieces of appreciation for every one aspect of coaching. And, and then if it's only appreciation and no coaching, then you're going to lose credibility with your people. Is there, is there a ratio that you have found works really well for high performing managers?
0: Well, it's, uh, I, I, my instincts say that, that that's probably right. And then my experience adds that it's a little bit more complex to even measure because different things make different people feel appreciated. Yeah. Like for some people being acknowledged publicly for something that they really went out above and beyond um, is really meaningful to them. And that's actually gonna give you a lot of mileage after that. Um, but for other people being recognized publicly is like, you've just tortured them. <laughs> and they would rather get a private handwritten note from you just yeah. saying, hey, you know, you really went above and beyond and I just want you to know how meaningful that is to me. Um, and so one conversation to have with people around you is what makes you feel valued? Yeah. For some people it's like, don't talk to me about it. That's awkward. But the fact that you come to me, as a sounding board for your toughest things. Like, I know that you value my, my view and my thoughts. And so then, then it's how do you count? Right. So, so I do think it's, it's about thinking about what counts with this person and to have that in the bank, because that just makes us, all of us more receptive to any suggestions or coaching other people have for us.
1: Yeah, no, that that's good insight. And uh, you're it, it reminds me of the love languages a little bit when you talk totally. about the way that we um, recognize people and show appreciation. I think yeah. I'm guilty of that as I, I express it oftentimes the way that I want to receive it. So that's actually, I've never thought about it that way. If I want to pay better attention to how others want to uh, want to receive it, I should watch closer for how they uh, bestow it. That would probably be a good indication.
0: Yeah, how they best- so watching how they bestow it, Noticing what gets a really warm reception, yeah, um, yeah. what gets them jazzed afterwards, um, what they repeat to you, like you know what happened, so and so called me to say so such and such um, will give you yeah. clues. I also think you can just talk about it on a team,
1: yeah and like, I, li- I like what makes that. you
0: feel appreciated
1: I like that yeah. a lot yeah, and that that would actually be a really nice little team builder as, at mm-hmm. the team of a team meeting wouldn't it uh, the the yeah what's a time in your career where you felt most appreciated and look for the patterns and themes. So that's super advice, Sheila. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to, I'd like to take us now inside of an actual feedback conversation, like the, how that starts to feel. And, and so it's all fine. Like I, I understand. So we've done a good job of clarifying. So Sheila, you know, you phone me and say, you want to schedule a 30 minute, uh, you know, a feedback discussion with me tomorrow. And it's going to be really focused on uh, performance related pieces. So it's evaluation in nature. Mm-hmm. I agree to the conversation. I have a lot of respect for you. Uh, now tomorrow comes around and we hop on the Zoom call and we get into this conversation and it goes off the rails in a hurry. And you talk in your book about triggers. So we all yeah. get triggered by different things, but there are three sort of key triggers that trip up a lot of feedback conversations. What are they?
0: Yeah, yeah, so, um, so if, if you pay attention to the feedback that you don't take, and, and by the way, getting good at receiving feedback does not obligate you to always take the advice, right? Yeah. That's really important because I'm definitely not gonna ask if I feel like, if I ask, I'm obligated to take all of your terrible advice. Um, it's actually instead getting better at sorting it, but, but it's instructive to pay attention to your initial reaction. And that's clearest if we, you think about advice you've gotten that you haven't taken. So actually, since people, I can see that people are really good at the chat, it'd be interesting to, for everyone to think about a piece of advice that you've gotten in your life, maybe even today uh, or recently, that you have not taken. And just throw into the chat, why didn't you take it? And then we'll pull the triggers out of that. Just why didn't you take the advice? It can be from anyone in your life. Why didn't you take it? Go ahead and toss it into the chat. I don't listen to anything my mom says.
1: Le- less, less has one here. So because they didn't understand the complexity of the situation fully. Totally. Good one. Totally. Didn't, didn't I, didn't it like it. I didn't like it.
0: Yes. Ego, my Girl, rut. Yeah. The person giving is not emotionally aware themselves. It was delivered condescendingly. Um,
1: oh, these are great. We've don't triggered. agree
0: with it and, and it's not who you wanna to be.
1: Tone of voice, Jillian, very, uh, that's great. Tone of they voice. They were
0: biased. Yeah. They didn't understand my goal, what I was trying to achieve. I didn't invite it, it was totally unsolicited. The time and effort involved in changing, like it, they could be right, but do you have any idea how much time and effort it would be involved to change that? Like I just, that is not my biggest problem right now. Yeah. Um, they didn't hear both sides of the story. Um, I, I think that all of these are exactly right. And they are exactly the kinds of reactions that I have to the feedback from people in my life. Yeah. Um, and they really focus on listening for what's wrong with it. Yeah. What they're saying, they don't understand the whole situation. It wouldn't really work. It's not what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, when, where and how they said it, condescendingly, tone of voice, etc., was vague. Um, why I suspect they said it because they're biased, they have their own agenda, they don't really want what's best for me, where they said it, like in front of the whole family, um, etc. They weren't listening to me. I think we're really, really good at wrong spotting. When feedback isn't coming to me, I am scanning it for what's wrong. Um, Because if I can figure out what's wrong with it, then I can safely like set it aside and relax, go on with my life. But the problem with that is that two things. Number one, you're always going to be able to find something wrong with the feedback people give you. Um, you know, it could be whatever, 60, 80, 95% wrong. And that last 5% might be worth at least thinking about. Um, and number two, we're doing that wrong spotting right in the middle of a triggered reaction. And as you were saying, Jeff, um, what we started to notice is that there were essentially three kinds of triggered reactions that we have to the feedback that we get. The first is what we call a truth trigger. Is this accurate or not? Is that really what happened? Do you really understand the whole picture? Is that what I was trying to do? Is this good advice or bad advice? Truth triggers are all about assessing the quality of the um, feedback itself. The second trigger is what we call a relationship trigger, and this has everything to do with the person who gave you the feedback, who gave you the feedback, because all feedback lives in that relationship between giver and receiver. So I can have a bigger reaction to who, like, mom, go away, um, or they're biased, et cetera, than I do to the what. Uh, The third trigger is what we call an identity trigger, Um, and that has everything to do with the story we tell ourselves about who we want to be. and also your sensitivity to feedback, who we want to be, meaning, um, yeah, I don't want to wear a suit because that's not who I want to be, Um, or gosh, maybe that feedback is true, which from an ego perspective is hard to hear, and so that's really upsetting, so identity has to do with your story, and it also has to do with your wiring around feedback, because in the course of this, we Stumbled on some research that suggests that in terms of individual sensitivity, how upset do you get and how long does it take you to recover? And also positive feedback. How happy does that make you? Um, Individual sensitivity can vary up to 3,000%. And now, of course, we're all in families and on teams and trying to give each other feedback. So those are the three triggers. And part of the triggers don't actually go away, I can tell you right now, having (laughs) worked on this for a long time. But it's more noticing that I'm having a triggered reaction and not letting that be the end of the story. Like, can I stay in the triggered reaction, not just look for what's wrong, but also what might be right and stay in the conversation to learn more. Later, I can decide what I wanna take out of it and try out and what I wanna leave behind, but to being good at receiving feedback means sticking with the conversation to understand it better before you decide any of that.
1: Yeah. And I'd like to talk about the relationship trigger specifically. Yeah. I, I think that one. Anyone
0: you have in part. mind.
1: <laughs> well, well I, yeah. And I were asked that question of people that know me, I'm probably on their list as well. But I, <laughs> I know you talk about, there's, there's sort of a couple of things that, that really impact the relationship trigger itself. So what we think about the person and what we feel about the person. Mm-hmm. And I'm just envisioning scenarios that I have been in where it's the exact same advice, the exact same feedback from two different people. And one of those people, I take that feedback and I apply it almost immediately. And the other person, I barely even listen. And, yeah. and so how, this is a growth moment for me. And I think probably for a lot of others is how do we get the feedback is, is great. But to, it, if, if you don't take that feedback, if you only had it from one person that you didn't trust and have mm-hmm. that relationship with, how do we get better at taking feedback from people that we don't have a relationship with?
0: Yeah, it's so, that's so true. And I think that we all have a list of approved feedback givers yeah. that we carry in our back pocket. It's an extremely short list yeah. um, and people can fall off of it at any moment, <laughs> mm-hmm. like I thought I valued your opinion, but now it's clear I don't <laughs> um,
1: and appreciation
0: yeah yeah so so the I think that's one of the really interesting um and challenging findings that fr- that came out of this work, which was that in many cases, the most valuable player, the MVP of your learning happens to be the people that you find most difficult Mm. sometimes. Because the people that you have an easy working relationship with, um, if you ask them, hey, what feedback do you have for me? Two things are true. One, they don't wanna risk that relationship um, by maybe telling you something that would make things easier for them. But secondly, they may not see your edges actually because you just may have a more naturally complementary work style um, together. And so you work easily together and they don't see your edges the same way that someone you actually have more challenge with does see your edges, right? They kind of bring out your worst. Yeah. Um, And so asking them, hey, what's one thing that if I changed it would make a difference to you or make a difference in how we work together? They'll also surely tell you right and and so that question even though i don't like you i don't want to be like you i don't necessarily trust you irritatingly occasionally those people actually do have valid or valuable input that would be helpful if we were willing to actually consider it don't i mean don't admit it to them but definitely (laughs) definitely consider it yeah
1: So what do we do in the moment? I suppose when we're having, when we're getting triggered like that, how do we, how do we sort of calm ourselves down or get ourselves in the, in the frame of mind that we're actually prepared to listen to somebody like that?
0: Yeah, for me, it mostly has to do with reassuring myself that I don't have to decide right now whether I agree with them or not. Mm -hmm. It's like I reserve the right to disagree and reject until later, Um, so that I just think to myself, okay, first I just have to understand. I have to understand what they mean, both looking backwards, what has happened has led you to say this to me? Like, can you give me examples? You know, was there something you expected me to do that I didn't do, et cetera? And, or asking them some questions looking forward. Like, if I were to follow your advice, what would I change? What is it specifically that that you think would help? And then we can start to hone in pretty quickly on like what they mean. And it, it may be something different than I initially Assumed maybe smaller than I initially assumed, or it could just be different than I initially assumed. Um, and so, negotiating with myself, like I can always reject later. I don't have to reject now. It helps me stay in that place a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's good advice. I I've I've, I've found it useful. If you're intentional about the kind of leader that you want to be and the type of environment you want to create, there can still be incongruency in how what people say and what they do. So I, yeah. I don't think I've ever met, I don't think I've ever met a leader that didn't say they, they wanted feedback from their employees. They uh, that they wanted an open door uh, policy, and yet their body language, their disposition, the way they react to that feedback would sort of suggest otherwise. And uh, I don't know if it's helpful for anybody else, but lately I have found with me that anytime someone takes the courageous step to reach out with feedback, I'm telling myself how excited I am that the environment that we're trying to create is unfolding, even though what you're telling me makes me want to you know, quit my job sometimes and question how good I am at it. So uh, even just using that, that language of being excited, I've, I have found and uh, drawing it back to the ultimate goal of the kind of culture you're trying to create can be helpful to try to disarm some defensiveness I think that uh, can, can pop up.
0: I love that you are also in many ways negotiating with yourself about staying open. Mm, interesting. Because if someone reaches out to take the risk to offer you feedback, then um, they're paying pretty close attention to how you respond. Yeah. And, and sometimes even responding in a way that's very candid by saying like, wow, this is, if, if what you're saying is right, that's upsetting. It's hard for me to hear. Mm -hmm. It actually, you're not saying yet whether you agree or disagree, I don't know yet, but um, you're signaling to them that number one, I hear what you're saying and I'm working to understand it. And number two, it matters to me wherever we land ultimately on it. It does matter. And I appreciate that you took the risk to have the conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I am just finding a pandemic specifically Mm-hmm. Ha- there has to be so much more autonomy in decision-making mm-hmm. uh, autonomy in, in the, in the tasks that we carry out every single day for all kinds of reasons. It, it, some companies have had to downsize as an example. Uh, mm-hmm. Other companies are trying to do a lot more, uh, a lot more with a lot with no more resources. And inevitably you're going to have these communication breaks, breakdowns and communication breakdowns are inevitable. But the, the option that we have is we can either build a culture of feedback or not. So. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. I, wa- I, I want to kind yeah. of explore another area now, Sheila, and I this is something that I, when I was reading this part of the book, I thought if everybody was aware of this and knew how to handle this better, it could literally save marriages. And I'm sure that you probably have saved a ton of marriages in the time that you've been doing this work and the
0: financial uh, information oh, sake
1: the, I love the live. This is the live uh, the live environment that we're in. But we're, where I'm going to.
0: Shall we talk about? Yeah, exactly. That's
1: should good. we talk That's about
0: good. the things that go wrong? <laughs> it's like I didn't think.
1: I, I turned it.
0: off my cell phone. I forgot to unplug the house phone.
1: We were about right. to hear some very personal information. There, we could have. We You're could have helped. Yeah.
0: That, that bot telling asking me for my financial information. That's right. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, I wanted to exactly. an
1: answer, Sheila. But the,
0: yeah, we could do it I, live on the air.
1: But I wanted yeah. to talk. I know you're not getting rich on this call today, which we sure appreciate. <laughs> and, uh, we, uh, I want to talk about a term you call switch tracking. And it's this thing yes. where I show, up, I show up late for dinner again, and my significant other is spent the whole afternoon making this amazing uh, spread of food and here I am, 35 minutes late. I didn't even call to say I was going to run late, and so me—yeah, me, you're
0: you're uh, you're screwed. <laughs> and
1: you know, and me being late for dinner now turns into this conversation where I don't respect her, and I never have, and and then I turn it around on her and say, "Well, you don't understand and respect how busy I am. Don't you know what it's like mm-hmm. to be an entrepreneur?" And these are conversations, Sheila, that I have been in my whole life, and mm-hmm. I'm not realizing how how bad I am at those and how much damage that's caused in my personal relationships. Mm. So can you talk about what switch tracking is and then how can we recognize it and then start to use that to our advantage to not get caught down that trap?
0: Yeah. So so the reason that we call this switch tracking has to do with the way that um, the image, the metaphor is a train track. And when you come to a switch, the train can smoothly transition to a different track, or it can continue straight on on the original track. And that is the metaphor for what happens. And this is one of the most common patterns when feedback conversations kind of go off the rails, if we're gonna continue the metaphor, um, which is that somebody comes in and they have feedback. So your your significant other has feedback about the fact that you are late and completely unappreciative of all of the effort um, and thought that she has put into this meal. Yeah. Um, And your reaction, which is totally natural, is to feel misunderstood yourself and unfairly blamed or, um, you know, like you just don't understand, you're expecting something of me that doesn't feel realistic as an entrepreneur in terms of the things I have to take care of or the, you know, the extra mile I'm going. And so what happens is you're actually introducing a second topic, which is, do you understand the pressure I'm under and appreciate what I'm doing? what's interesting is that it sounds like we're both talking about dinner and lateness but actually you're talking about two different topics one is whether she feels seen and appreciated and the other is whether you feel understood um, and maybe appreciated and what's happening is that you've switched to a different track that's what the conversation is about for your point of view she's still on her original track and feeling like see you don't even hear me now and you're getting further and further apart in the conversation And this, once you notice switch tracking, when we've actually got two topics, it happens all the time.
1: Yeah.
0: I was actually working on the switch tracking chapter and picking my son up um, after practice each day, my eldest. Um, And he would get in the car and say, like, you're late. And I would say, don't talk to me that way. And it took me like three weeks of working on that chapter to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm doing it to him. I'm changing the topic to how you talk to your mother and whether you appreciate, you know, that I'm setting aside what I was working on so that you don't have to ride the late bus. But in doing so, I'm wiping his topic off the table. And yeah. so the, the answer is, is to notice it and then bookmark it sort of, um, we call it uh, road uh, signposting. Yeah. <laughs> Sign, I can't use language this morning, signposting. To basically say, okay, so it sounds like we have at least two topics to talk about. Um, And that's, it can be as simple as that. So the skill is sort of the noticing and the naming so that we can figure out which one do you want to talk about first?
1: Right. And and you, I I think the recommendation that you had was if you notice that there are two distinct topics, stay on the first topic first, deal with that one, and then come back to the second one after, unless that second one is really emotionally charged. And, and it's clear that you gotta go down that one first.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, the general advice is if they have raised something with you, there's obviously energy behind it. So name, maybe name it, like, okay, and then I wanna talk about how you talk to me. Yeah. But going back to theirs is usually good advice. Um, because right now the 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 bottom line is we have two givers here and no receivers. Yeah. You have feedback for me, I, by the way, now have feedback for you. And so, just let them go first unless your reaction is so big or so important that you just can't listen. If I can't be a receiver right now, then actually I feel like I need to put mine first if you're willing to actually listen to it. So it's a negotiation.
1: Yeah. And and it's relying on at least one of the parties uh, staying rational and keeping the end in mind. And, when emotions are running high, is there is there is there anything at all that we can do to, to switch our brains back to being more rational and being calm? Do you have any suggestions for that at all?
0: Well, I think the, the noticing does help, right? Yeah. The noticing and the naming actually engages the part of your brain that has to name. So you are actually putting a label on something that you're feeling. I, we occasionally work with people, negotiators, leaders, et cetera, and part of what they wanna work on is I need to have this really big conversation and I'm afraid I'm going to get emotional. I'm afraid I'm gonna you know, yell yeah. or start to cry. And counterintuitively, our advice um, for what helps is actually to express more emotion sooner. So simply saying, as you feel yourself getting yeah. defensive, simply saying, wow, that's hard to hear, I'm feel I am feeling a little bit defensive about it. Yeah. Will help you have a place to put it and park it so that it's not actually driving your reactiveness in the conversation.
1: Wow. That's great. That is great advice. Yeah, I can, yeah, I, I can see how that would uh, totally shift, uh, totally shift the mindset. Sheila, n- another thing that you, um, that you talk about is, unfortunately, it looks like we're genetically hardwired for how we receive feedback or not. And, and there's, so there's three things that you talk about that predispose us to how we respond to feedback. And one of the genetic one is sort of the baseline. So we are all, it, seeming, it seems like we're born at a certain mm-hmm. level of baseline. We're either blessed to have a really high baseline where feedback, we take it and it, it just you know falls off our back like water on a duck kind of thing. Uh, and some of us are very sensitive to feedback and that makes up like half of the way that we react to it. So if we've only mm-hmm. got 50% to work with, What are the things that we can do to, to work up that muscle, I guess, so that we're, we become better over time at receiving it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I would actually say that it's not better or worse to be highly sensitive or insensitive, um, under sensitive. Um, it's just a different challenges. So for people who actually are pretty high baseline and and undersensitive, even keel. Mm-hmm. Part of the challenge is that people can be trying to give you feedback, but unless they are really direct, it's not getting through to you. So you're not hearing it or you do hear it and you have the best of intentions, but it doesn't stick in your memory. So you're like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, that's important. I'll work on that. But by next week you've forgotten it because memory is, is highly correlated with emotion. Yeah. So if you tend to be on the more, even keel side, you won't get as upset and you'll bounce back quicker, but you're gonna actually have to set up mechanisms to keep things front and center that you're working on. And, and you probably need to coach people to be direct with you. They're hesitating and they're hinting or being indirect because they of course would get it. They might be highly sensitive and they're like, gosh, if somebody said this to me, I would be devastated. So yes. they're not saying it so that you can understand it. And then of course, now let's talk about being highly sensitive. Um, So, Doug and I are probably at opposite ends of the scale. I'm probably more toward the even keel end. Um, I can get very upset, but I'll bounce back relatively quickly, usually. Um, Doug is at the highly sensitive end, and he would say that if you're not sure whether you're sensitive, you aren't. (laughs) <laughs> because he said for those of us who are highly sensitive, you know, like you're always scanning for like, are they hinting that they're mad at me or there's a problem or what did I do? And sometimes the hardest feedback is feedback we have for ourselves, no matter who you are, right? Yeah. Which is upsetting. Yeah. So what to do? Um is a whole chapter on dismantling distortions. So if you're really devastated by a piece of a particular piece of feedback, it can kind of get supersized. Like it's not just this one thing, it's, it's everything. It's not just now, it's forever. I've never been good at this. I'm never gonna get better at this. Um, I've never done anything right. And in that place, it's actually quite hard to learn. So one of the things, and a lot of this has to do with Carol Dweck's work around shifting from a fixed mindset. Like this is just how I am. Yeah. So feedback is like verdict about yeah. whether you're good enough, smart enough, capable enough versus a growth mindset, which is, you know, feedback's giving me a sense of where I'm at now and what I might work on next. So part of it is that story you're telling about what does this say about me. And part of it is that can help con- is what we call a containment chart. So it's just making two columns on a piece of paper and saying, what is this feedback about? And what isn't this feedback about? Right. So this is about whether I gave the team clear enough direction, whether we Um, whether I paid enough attention to people feeling depleted right now, et cetera. What it is not about is whether we're on the right track or whether, you know, I, in other ways, have been supportive or a good leader or a good parent. Um, And so it just helps you get rid of the supersizing to see it at actual size or dismantle those distortions where everything gets lumped in together.
1: Got it, got it. What about... um... Performance metrics. So we talk about evaluation as being one of the three areas, Mm -hmm. uh, three areas of of feedback. And almost all of our clients get really excited when they start building role scorecards and performance metrics and building dashboards, and then they roll them out. And inevitably, they fall flat. Uh, Motivation isn't where they thought it would be. Uh, Productivity doesn't change. What's the relationship between feedback and performance metrics?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> um, I think we kind of veer back and forth between thinking like, oh, our performance metric system must be broken, so we'll fix that, and that'll fix everything, and then that doesn't fix everything, and then we we zigzag back to say, well, then our people must be broken, so we'll fix our people and scale them up, um, and I think that the I mean, there are better and worse performance metrics and management systems, and there are better and worse skills to have the conversation, but there isn't necessarily a perfect system. And I think that one of the trends that we've seen in the last few years um, has to do with just getting rid of performance reviews and ratings in organizations, because it takes a huge amount of time and it causes a lot of angst and people rarely think People rarely think, we got all kinds of fun stuff going on around here. Rarely think that it feels accurate or fair. And the first reaction is often, yay, no more performance reviews. Um, but if you fast forward 12 or 18 months, my experience is that if people really can't tell how they're doing, yeah. am I on track? Am I, you know, should I throw my hat in the ring for that promotion? You start to get a lot of anxiety in the system so you need to have some way to let people know how they're doing and the organization needs some way to know who who's doing a amazing job and would be a great fit. So I think the answer isn't in insisting there must be an answer. The answer is more in making the um, challenges discussable and navigating them together.
1: Got it. Sheila, and I've got a couple sort of last last questions for you and, and, This one I think is really is just going to be even more relevant as as discord on social media uh, uh, heightens for an example. There's so many different perspectives and opinions out there. And I think a lot of us are finding ourselves in conversations where the things that we believe are being challenged. So we want to be open minded, but we Mm -hmm. still want to be assertive on the things that we believe. And it can be difficult to hang on to what you believe and also provide space for somebody else's perspective. How can we achieve that in a conversation to be assertive and also open-minded and understanding?
0: Um, I'm gonna. We saved the most important question these days for the last <laughs> minute. Um, it's hard, I'll, I'll definitely say that. I think that what has helped me is to let go of the idea that I can control the other person and just correct them and help them see the error of their ways and all the things that they're wrong about. Because if that's my purpose in the conversation, it's not likely to succeed. Yeah. And so if I can shift my purpose to how do I better understand why we see this so differently, um, we're likely to have a better conversation. Um, And that's a hard purpose to hang on to. It's a purpose that almost never happens on the Internet. Um, It certainly was not happening and uh, any certain debates that might've been happening anytime soon. No. Um, But I think the question of how do we better understand why we see it differently, what we're each looking at and what we're each worried about, that's likely to be a a
1: rich conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila. that's going to take some practice and some work for sure. And even just more preparation for the things that we have strong beliefs about, maybe challenging ourselves, why we believe those in the first place.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think that's right.
1: The, uh, so maybe the, the last, the last question, Sheila, will will end off on the way a feedback conversation is supposed to end. And, and you can read about the four steps mm. to actually construct a well-run feedback conversation. But the fourth step is sort of the conclusion. How do you wrap it up? I'm really guilty when I provide somebody feedback of doing it poorly at the end. I'll be like, okay, you know, the Will Farrell from uh, old school, you know, keep on trucking. That's a great, great chat. Right, uh, right. There's yeah. no clarity. There's no clarity. <laughs> and I am so awkward. Yeah. What's the right way to end a feedback conversation?
0: I think it's probably to link it to the next conversation. Okay. Because I think often we feel like this is the time we're talking about feedback. Therefore, we have to arrive at our destination by the end. And I think instead we're marking, we've talked about a lot. I want to think about some of the things you've said. I imagine you want to think about some of the things I've said. Why don't we come back together and just touch base, whatever, next week um, to think about what should our priorities be? for what we're working on Um, because people can only work on one or two things at a time. And we also need processing time. So in terms of sensitivity, right, people may need to sit with it over the weekend, think about it over time. And we need to give each other that space and that grace um, to also go to other people to say, what seems, this is all the things that's wrong with what i just learned from Jeff. Is there anything that he says that's right? And they might have confidence who can say like, well, he's probably right about this so that we actually need to process it both with ourselves and, and with the people who love us in our life and then we'll come back next week and pick up the conversation where we've each done a little bit of digesting
1: yeah i like that a lot and i really it's been very helpful for me even just since i finished reading the book this notion of feedback's like a puzzle And we have have often contributed to the thing we're about to give somebody feedback on. So if a discussion is is trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and we only have certain pieces, they have to bring the rest and then acknowledge with some empathy that we have likely contributed to their predicament. I think that helps make that conversation go better. Uh, Sheila, what are you working on? You've got some exciting stuff coming down uh, that you're releasing in November. Can you tell us just a bit about that?
0: Yeah, we are. People are so stretched thin. Um, So we're in the midst of putting together leader kits of five steps for having meaningful conversations um, as we head into the fall and the winter. And then for the team members, how do I get the most out of that conversation? And now that I got feedback, now what? How do I metabolize it? And then how do we set priorities for what we're each going to work on and support each other um, as we go forward together?
1: Very timely, very helpful. We have a bunch of questions that came in that we couldn't get to today, Sheila, and, and uh, we're gonna make sure that those questions get answered one way or another. Uh, we have we won't, we didn't even scratch the surface of what we could have discussed today, and I, and I just want to encourage everybody uh, uh, watching uh, live or on the podcast afterwards, Grab a copy of Sheila's latest book. Thanks for the feedback. It's one of the most impactful books I have personally read in a very long time. I know it will change the way that you receive feedback. Mm -hmm. If you want to stay in touch with us and with Sheila, you can connect with her on LinkedIn. And if you're very, very nice, that she'll say yes and accept that. Uh, You can find (laughs) her at uh, Triad Consulting Group. That website is filled with resources for you to leverage as a leader, not just for you, but for your teams and for your employees. So find her at triadconsultinggroup.com and just tons of information there. And if you have questions uh, in addition to the ones that were asked on the show today, you can get us at info at UnleashResults.com. And the recording, of course, will be up on YouTube. It'll be in our blog at UnleashResults.com backslash blog. And we just launched on National Podcast Day yesterday our very own podcast. You now consume them on uh, on, uh, the various platforms where podcasts are available. And uh, after the show today, when you fill out the feedback, you're going to have a chance to win a copy of Sheila's book. So we are giving away a couple of copies of Sheila's book. And, uh, and in terms of looking ahead to the future, so we are going to be uh, launching the BEX Exchange event on October 29th with Sarah Noel Wilson. As I mentioned at the start, there's a, such an incredible opportunity right now to take advantage of affordable training. So we're so lucky to have leadership expert Sarah Noel Wilson joining us for a very fun uh, online events gonna be unlike any online event that you've probably participated in yet. Lots of interaction, stories from actual CEOs of how they've been navigating this change with their teams and tools to help your employees, your managers, navigate this relentless world of change that we are in. So giving them tools to build really high performing teams uh, in their own, um, in their own uh, environment. And then next week, we have got uh, Buster Benson, and Buster Benson worked at Twitter, he worked at Amazon, and he was a, a product development leader. So he got used, used to these really complex environments working in a technology world where there were so many different perspectives on what was the right platform for Twitter, what was the wrong mm-hmm. platform for Twitter, how is Amazon gonna tackle uh, overseas markets versus other ways that they could, uh, they, they could uh, go after growth and what those strategies were. And along the way, He became really good at bridging those conversations. So he's got a book uh, all about the art of productive disagreement. His book is called Why Are We Yelling? He's joining us for an hour next week to show us how to take very different perspectives and find the commonality so that we can make better decisions together. Uh, What a fascinating guy he is with some really cool stories and he'll share those with us next week. Thanks for joining us today and in the meantime be open to feedback, be curious, Ask good questions and uh, don't be so fast to discard that's a really useful piece of feedback from someone that you might not quite have the strong relationship with. Thank you once again, Sheila. Take care, everybody.
0: Bye-bye.